0: Across the margin. Across the Margin. Podcast.
1: to Across the Margin, the podcast, where we take you beyond the margin, behind the scenes of the magazine, and deeper into the stories. I have with me uh, my co-host, Chris Thompson. How are you feeling today, Chris? Not bad,
2: Mike. It's a little bit warm here in Brooklyn, yes, but I'm doing well.
1: I am a sweaty mess. Um, <laughs> but today, we, me and Chris just want to get behind the mic here and just talk about some things that we have going um, at Across the Margin, because it's, it's kind of an exciting time for us. And Yeah, we're really busy. Um, and And... The, I, I guess the, the main reason for this excitement is um, we have started a publishing imprint, and we're going we're gonna to be putting some things into print. Um, our main focus will will always re, uh, remain online with all the stories and everything that we we have at across the margin. But um, we, I mean, we assumed at one point we were definitely going to be. Um, publishing whether books chapbooks anthology something we knew we knew it was going there we wanted correctly. to diversify absolutely you know? and there's i mean one of the things we we take pride in is just the the different means in which stories can be told and it's 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 it was it was bound to happen so atm publishing right. uh coming at you it has has been birthed absolutely and um it's uh i guess this week this is by the time this podcast um, is is published uh it it will, will be in the swing of things cuz on 6116 a date we picked out basically for that number um is the release of our first book which is Rhea Deeb's um Seneca Rebel uh i've known Rhea for some time she's a very gifted uh writer she's um she, she, her imagination knows no bounds, and and that's you can you can truly see it when um you know when anyone who's read or will read Seneca Rebel will, will come to grips with that. It's uh it's the first book in the in the Seneca series, Seneca Society series. Uh, Seneca Society is is um, a secret society, and uh, and so she's got this whole thing planned out. I mean, it's 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 way beyond this book. Let me um let me read kind of like the the uh, what the back of the book here what it says so it's, it's what if your one chance to change the world means you have to leave everything you love behind in the not too distant future math genius doro campbell is introduced to the seneca society a secretive technical technologically advanced subterranean utopia dedicated to inventing and perfecting the most effective ways to benefit our planet but there's a hitch Like all that have come before her, Doro is given the ultimatum. Stay in Seneca forever, or leave now with no memory of the place, its goals, and its inhabitants. She stays. Shivers, Mike. (laughs) Her her ideals are shattered when, together with biotechnology whiz Dominic Ambrosia, Doro uncovers profound deceptions beneath the surface of this all-too-perfect community. Will one teenage girl have what it takes to go up against swarms of drones, Psychological manipulation and biological attacks to uncover the truth and change the trajectory of the world. So that is that's uh, Seneca Rebel in a nutshell. We're right. excited for it. Yeah. you enjoyed the read? Oh yeah, definitely. It
2: was a great read. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 it's
1: it's it's a quick one. It's, yeah. it's, it's easy easy reading. It's easy. you roll right through it. It's a uh, it's a lot of adventure in it. There's there's it's it's uh, we're very proud of it. And, Something we're, uh, that we're also real excited about because, you know, we are going to be publishing books, but we're not going to be doing it, you know, at a steady clip. So each time we do it, we want to create kind of an experience and and make the release something um, something a little more special and more to bite into. and
2: right. Maybe go a little bit beyond the book, you know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Look, right. That's what one thing we're trying to do with uh, with Seneca is, is take the fiction off the page right. and... Um, what you will see when we release the book and, and everything to it is we've created a whole series of websites and uh the you know one of the main ones is seneca society.com that'll lead you a lot of places but there's uh there's all there's way more to it there's 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 sites that uh, that talk about conspiracy theories that go on in this world or um you know there's there's each character a lot of the characters have their own sites we, we've 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 gone pretty hard in yeah, that. Yeah, I mean the
2: the fact that the the book exists beyond the confines of the cover is, yeah. I think, one of the more exciting parts of what we're doing here. You know, I mean, it's like, what is it, the term we use? It's a transmedia experience. Absolutely. You know, it goes beyond yeah. the borders of just the the physical words themselves. You know, and yeah. I, mean, I think it's a lot more immersive that way. And I think that that's a really exciting way to engage people and to make them become fans of someone's work. Yeah, you know? it's like,
1: and it's like, a, it's it's you know, it's a sci-fi story, yeah. and I mean, you know, we're nerds, and right? Like, exactly. I love. Yeah so much when there's you know there's there's more to dig into you know right. you love the book the book's done yeah like what else is out there in the world exactly. we're giving you that yeah. i mean we're, we're this this is this is um i i'm kind of in awe ray kind of orchestrated this whole thing and uh i'm pretty in awe of uh what we're about to do yeah i agree with that. what i like about
2: it was you know uh the target audience is obviously it's it's more young adult yeah
1: but you yeah know. and our site is as has, has, I mean we've probably had some stories that could be called young adult, but you know we're we're, we're a grown- up site
0: exactly yeah, um, and I agree and, and you know so it's a little we,
1: uh, off off uh, out of our realm, but yeah. we just got so excited about right. the project but
2: yeah, but you know the fact that you know it, it you know it may be targeting towards maybe a, um, a young adult audience, but I think that it is just as interesting as someone who is, you know, older, you know, yeah. more mature, you know, I, I, I think that that label is, is loose, you know. Totally. So, and that's exciting about I know a bunch of people that, yeah. that,
1: are, that are our age, even older, who enjoy young adult novels. I mean, it, they're it,
2: fun. If the story's good, I'm going to read it, you no know, question. and that's really all it comes down to, you know, and everything else is just, you know, um, you know, part of the experience. So, yeah. You know.
1: And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and to continue what we were saying about taking the fiction off the book, I mean... We have had someone create a jewelry line right. based on, uh, on on Seneca and, and some of the the um, you know uh, the fashion uh, the fashion the yeah. fashion that's based in that world. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. And uh, I mean, we have a limited edition Mass Brothers chocolate bar based on the chocolate that that uh, that Doro likes, and a whole bunch more things like that. So it's it's there's um, levels to it, Mike. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Kramer, so Kramer
2: from Steinfeld will be proud. Yes. Levels. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, <laughs> And so that's available. That'll be available when this comes out. I think the same day we, we're we're putting this out. Uh, Seneca Rebels available. Go to SenecaSociety.com. Um, and they'll
2: be up on Amazon, you know. Absolutely. And, d- um, d-
1: just go check it out. Yeah. It's it's fun stuff, and man, we're, we're we're very excited about it. Yeah, so. I
2: mean we're, that's, we're leading with it, obviously. You can yeah, tell absolutely. Them, you know, like we're giddy. You and know? there's uh
1: and the and and from ATM Publishing, there'll be a whole bunch more to come. We're 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 just uh. Just getting started yeah just getting started yeah, here right. so um, and I, I also thought this was a fun uh, chance to you know we haven't got a chance to sit down and talk about everything that's been going on at across the margin um, and they you know we've, we've, we've been pumping it out and, and so let's let's kind of bounce around the margin sure. a little bit and uh, one thing we got going now which I love is uh, Jeffrey Golia's um, Game of Thrones articles he's yes. our Thrones guru. Um, Jeffrey Jaffrey, I always he Yeah, we thought he's I read because I love Game of Thrones, and uh, I, I think I read like four or five recaps from you know different sites, and um, you know, I nothing excites me like his articles. They got they got this certain bit of um, humor that just it's such nerdy humor. He's like he he makes references to. The lord of the rings and and just other you know there's in other um uh you know nerdy nerdy topics and i just love his articles i one of my friends um paul gilkowski he after reading one of his his thrones uh, deconstructed articles where we asked him some questions he described um he described him as a national treasure, <laughs> which I, t- I completely understand. No,
2: that's that's great. Yeah, Paul's a funny guy. You yeah. know? I, I I think he does a great job. You know, he uh, um there's only so much out there, you know, but he does a wonderful job of bringing his own humor to describing what's going on. You know, like yeah, you know, and he he digs deep. I mean, he's talking about things that are so tangential that it, it would take a while to sort of uncover. Those truths. So yeah, he's got them. the tip of his tongue ready
1: to fire them out for you. you his know, knowledge so. base is so exactly. That's incredible. What I was it's yeah. so incredible. Yeah. He uh, he's an avid avid book reader. I mean he he when I, I was first led on to him, I mean my friend who who introduced me to him was telling me how he has a map of Westeros like on his office wall and. He's I mean doesn't he do
2: like Westeros trivia like he Game does. of Thrones he trivia? Does. Yeah,
1: he he he, a he hosts city? he yeah. hosts a trivia night, a Game of Thrones trivia night in Williamsburg. I yeah. believe that's still going on, but um he um so he knows a few things. He knows yeah. a few things mm-hmm. and and what he can do is just add a lot, you know, cuz the the story has moved past beyond mostly past the books. Yeah. But he does there's still so much perspective that could be um, obtained from someone who who knows that much yeah. about he's, the books, and he's yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, that's what we do for the articles. Is me and Chris basically ask him questions that, you know, we might need. Holes filled in, and uh, my, the things my,
2: where we were head scratching during the episode. Yeah, like I wanted more, and, and and he fills in those holes yeah, to say the exactly. least. And you, you always got to have one of those people in your life. You
1: know, yeah, because yeah, Bill, no, you, you need know. you. We, I I lean heavily on my Thrones yeah. you nerd. Know, I need him. Like it's it's he's special. And and we're gonna ha- actually in a couple of weeks we're gonna have him on. We're gonna do a Thrones podcast. You know, that's, you know, you know, I think we're gonna do it right before, um, the. Season finale, and kind of yeah. talk about everything that's happened and what might it's, be happening. There's a lot going
2: on now. We, we, it's we, a ton of we fun. We got to talk about it. It'll you know?
1: only be for a certain segment of people, drawings, sure. watchers. Sure. I, I mean, can't imagine yeah. anyone else watching, but we're gonna do it anyways. It'll well, I we be always fun. are, you know,
2: like yeah. we're, we're niche, you know. So yeah, yeah let's this, just do it. Let's celebrate exactly.
1: It. Different, different. Each, you know, that's one of the fun things about this this podcast beyond the margin. Yeah. We we um, we jump around to so many different topics, and you know, because we have a we have a diverse website and, 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 and we celebrate story, that here. The so. story's everywhere Mike, you yeah. know? So and so let's dance around a little bit. One one thing recently, uh Ian Johnson wrote an article, uh Librick. Um his he second. this is his second yeah. article, his second story he shared with us. And he's um he's a basketball player who played for Davidson, which is a, a D one school. It's a good you know good basketball school considering how small it is. It's sure. it's where Steph Curry went. Yeah. Um and Ian uh He's very good. He was a very good basketball player, so good that he um, has played a few years professionally overseas. And first was in uh, Gijan, Spain, and then uh, and then in Czechoslovakia. And he has shared the stories from both of those places with us. And
2: what, I mean, he's also a great writer too. Which
1: a, is that's what's so cool about it. He's yeah. I mean, a great basketball player. He's actually able to, you know, take these experiences and put them in, in, into you know write it up in a yeah, beautiful way yeah he does way. a good job
2: of like making you feel like you're in there in his world experiencing mm-hmm. all the things he's going through you know yeah. his anxiety his fears his excitement yeah. you know the ups and downs and he conveys it really well with the written word you know I mean I was overjoyed to see that he had another article yeah. you know another story to tell us I was I
1: was hoping because he, yeah. he mentioned at the end of the first one he mentions um like another it, it, it's almost like a teaser like a, yeah. that there was he went somewhere more else to yeah. more to come yeah. and then he, he did hit us, with they And were the other great. thing
2: is, that the two stories were so different from each other. Absolutely. I felt like, They're you know, like full. I
1: mean two entirely different, two different countries, two yep. entirely
2: different professional basketball experiences yep. you know and it, it was just really a joy to read
1: and uh i mean they, they provide a glimpse not only into the life of athletes who travel abroad to pursue a professional career which is not as luxury luxurious as one would imagine far right. from it compared to the nba yeah yeah but it's also um you know the stories of, of a yeah. person dealing with a new environment it, mm-hmm. it's his stories are very honest they're humorous they're insightful and uh it's, 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 they're, they're, those, those are great. Those are, those are really great. So,
2: yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend checking it out if you're curious about the world of professional basketball has, in Europe. You I know? think he,
1: he mentioned to me recently he has more stories too. So, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> I, I, I'd love
2: to have, hear more of those.
1: Um, recently, uh, you know, we talk about music, uh, here a lot. Sure. And, uh, um, the, you know, Radiohead is definitely one of my favorite bands. And they, they just put out a new album, Moonshade Pool. So, I did a little first impressions piece on that. I love the first impressions pieces because, like, when you first hear an album, or sometimes we do with films or or, or whatnot. It's, I mean, you, it's, it's just that initial glance of what's going on. It's, I mean, it's. I think people sometimes rush out their reviews, and and so we're we're making sure that it's not looked at is just a music review. It's our first impression right. of it's it. More it's more of
2: like a guttural kind of experience. Totally you're just shooting from the hip and talking a, about what you're it, feeling in the moment. Yep. You don't have twenty years, like yeah. a twenty years later pieces yeah. to think back and reflect yeah. on it, you know? It's there's like,
1: no hindsight to give you perspective. Right. You're in the now and yeah. you're talking
2: about it. And you know, we're talking about Radioheads the Moonshaped Pool. Yeah. I mean and know, and it's and a it, beautiful and
1: album. and it's fun. it's such it's kind of like a it's such a visceral experience to, to listen to Radiohead, especially this album. it's, it's really it's thick, it's moody, yeah. and so there's a lot of fun just to kind of write after um, yeah. going through it just a couple times, just yeah. writing something up, so it's, that's that's a pretty special yeah. album. I think um, Dex Dark and The Numbers and Full right. Stop, these are some these are some of the some of the greatest work. It's yeah, really, I, I think
2: we're going to be hearing a lot about it towards the end of the year. About yeah, because you know? yeah, it's,
1: it's, 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 it's one of the best yeah. that, that's going to come I've, out this I've, year.
2: It's like stuck on repeat on my iPhone right yeah. now. I mean, I just, you know. Um, Dexter gets me every time you know
1: it's really 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 intense song um, one, we are going to have an article coming out soon um, our, we always do mid-year we do the best songs of 2016
2: yeah and, the, the, uh, the best songs we think so far the ones yes. that have caught our attention you know so absolutely it's always nice to go you know halfway through the year and just take a little pause and say hey this is some of the music on our radar right now. This, you know? is, this so, is what,
1: what we've been know? truly enjoying. Because right. we do the album list at the end of the year, but yeah. this is we, 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 we cut it back and, and, and just do the songs here. I know um, off the top of my head, I could think we're, I'm sure Chance the Rapper, he, sure. he, just, he just put something out. That awesome. He'll be on there. Animal Collective, Parquet Courts, Besnard Lakes, there's, there's a whole bunch more. There's so, so much good
2: stuff
1: out there. That'll be, um,
2: there's we, a lot of good music out right now. Yeah, like you know, It's, it's, it's been buffing. a great run the last five years, absolutely. You
1: know, so. so so many so many great yeah. bands and yeah. So and, look out for that. You know, we'll that'll be within the next couple yeah. weeks. Yeah, we're coming um, up. I, 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 I think we will have that point of the year already. Absolutely, yeah. it's, it's this will June first right on the corner.
2: Yeah. So best songs 2016 coming at you. Coming at you. Yeah.
1: Um, so far, so far. Uh, so we don't often talk politics on the site, but uh, we we like to we like we, we we like to think that we're socially motivated, and, 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 you know, we, we care about the greater good, and there was an article, what's that, it's right in front of you right there, it was, um...
2: Oh, David Rainey's, Why Can't We Argue Like adults? Yeah, Yeah, I,
1: we, I think we both... It was really good. It was, yeah. it was, it's, what it is, is basically an article that was, um, it was, it was about how we're struggling to have rational and level-headed conversations, whether it's between two people, or the two political parties, mm-hmm. or... We're just we're just kind of uh, screaming at each other in a lot of ways, and yeah. no one's listening to each other, and right. that's why. And but like he breaks it down so much, even to like you know historically and like biologically, right. why this is something and we it, do. It, it was well
2: researched, well written. There was a lot of great depth to it. He yeah. did He did You know, he had an overall opinion, but he also did a good job of providing. Um, other perspectives, so it didn't seem like he just had some sort of like you know agenda. You it know? didn't like, feel
1: it, it felt it, it, even,
2: yeah. It was even and well rounded, and I think that's why we're really excited about it, you know. And you know, the fact that you know, one of his main points was that you know, it's really easy to talk at each other, you know, and society these days, you know, is it's everyone's got something to say, yeah, everyone's looking to jump over each other and. You know, say their thing, but no one's really listening. You know, totally. you know, or really understanding. You yeah. know, and you know, it, it's a it's a good point. I think it's a valid point, especially these days with the 24-hour cable news cycles yeah. and with the run up to the presidential election. You know, everybody's saying things, or maybe even not saying things, but no one's really like listening. To anybody? Yeah. You know, it's just like I'm the king of the mountain right now, and I'm screaming louder, so obviously I must be right. You mm-hmm. know, which is just like I think a really contrary. You know. To, like a really healthy just because you're saying you know? it louder
1: doesn't yeah. mean you're right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I
2: mean, I think there's a few people,
1: it's just there's a lot of noise out there, and it's hard but it's hard to really see what matters through all the noise sometimes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, it's yeah. you want to, can you read like a little bit of that? I see, yeah, yeah, there's a couple of the
2: paragraphs I think that one. caught our eyes, you know, um, to give
1: them a taste.
2: <clears throat> yeah, so this is David Rainey's Why Can't We Argue Like Adults. This is a little excerpt here. Um, so it starts off. And us versus them stalemate, reinforcing trenches, is the opposite of real argument. For that, two things are absolutely required. Besides the will to think for yourself, rather than accept some authority, shrink rack opinion package. The first is to find some sense that we're in it together. We can be students in a classroom, House and Senate colleagues, delegates to the United Nations General Assembly, or friends talking at a coffee shop. But the default position has to be, we will win if we agree. This means thinking of compromise as triumph, not capitulation, and of civility as respect, always preferable to violence. But not only that, not just politeness. The the word's older meaning is the art of governing, making it a cousin of civilization. Argument can be heated, even discordious, as debate derives from the word beatdown, but without losing its essential role in a civilized society. There's no lack of passion in Voltaire's great line, I disapprove of what you have to say, but I will defend to my death your right to say it. But hot or not, true argument has to be about governing ourselves in every sense. Yeah, you know, awesome. I think that's great. You know, it's like we have—if you want to have a debate, we have to, you know, govern ourselves in terms of how we conduct ourselves while mm-hmm. we have that debate. You know, yeah. we can't just be shouting over each other or not listening and just waiting to talk after you talk. You know, if you yeah. want to have a debate, you need to actually sit down and agree to listen. You know, yeah. and I think that's a good point that he makes. you that's know it, I think it, these it, days.
1: We're not doing that. No way. Good. The uh, there's just those like is triumph. That was yeah. I said. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Man. You know. I you know. So you know,
2: I really recommend you guys not on being to our site and checking out this yeah, football. You know? it's, it's, it's so good. It's um, enlightening, you know. Uh,
1: yeah. No. Instead of ch- always trying to win, look at the win is the compromise. It's finding finding the middle ground where we can where, right. where we can right. all be looking. At, then everyone wins. So
2: right. I mean, I, I, I fully support argument. I think argument is healthy. You know. Yeah. It's it's how you um find you know it's how you find a solution to a problem you know yeah. or it's how you move forward culturally or society you mm-hmm. know societally but you know you don't have to become insane monsters no. while we're doing it you know you know let's, no. let's keep our civility and i think he makes a good argument for how you can do that and why it's important you yeah. know so
1: yeah, it's a beautiful piece yeah. and so i, I was that kind of leads me to like you know that's that's not too overly political he keeps he, he, it's 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 not too heavy-handed with uh, the politics, yeah, but Dave, I mean... Yeah,
2: does a good job of sort of, like, you know, not shoving in your face yeah. like some of the other people are. Yeah, it's, stage, not, it's, like know, a, so. it's a breezy read, too. Yeah, exactly. It's nice. You know, it's, 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 it's a breath of fresh air these days.
1: And um, what I always like is that sometimes we come upon stories where um, there's a political statement being made within a fiction. And, uh sure. that I kind of, uh, you know, uh, M.B. Binkley's homage to Mickey Mouse. We had some of that... Uh, this is what we described it as in a land that attempts to prevent a certain image of utopia, a perverted ethos reveals itself. yeah, it was a great
2: short story you know yeah. like it, it it sort of presented the idea of like this sort of like um speculative fiction you know america it's not
1: though The what yeah. he what it was based on. I know what you're saying, but, well, but like, it's based on real. It's based on a real, real law. law. It's a real yeah. law that Before was that. in Florida. There's yeah. actually a couple. Of, I think there was, I was doing a lot of research on it because I can't figure out if this is still the case. Uh, but it was big a couple of years ago that people in Orlando uh, there was a law that uh, that they en- enacted an ordinance restricting public feeding of the homeless, so you could right. not feed homeless people, right. and people were literally getting arrested, like. In certain, you know, they'd be at a park trying to feed homeless people and people who were trying to help other people were getting arrested.
2: I mean, I remember seeing footage on CNN of like someone that could have been my grandfather, you know, like the nicest guy in the world, just trying to feed some homeless people or some people, not even homeless people, just were down their luck, you know. And Orlando's solution to that was to arrest these people and tell the homeless people they couldn't have that food because that would force them to leave. The city limits. Yeah. Yeah. So it basically was, you know, a backhanded way to, you know, get people to leave Orlando who were homeless and yeah. maybe didn't fit the mold of what a proper Orlandian should look like. You know, yeah. is that the term for some? Yeah, Yes. Yeah. And I believe, so, um you know, that's, I, it's I think that was kind
1: of like the point he was getting at with right. this. It was kind of like a knock on 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 how you know he does kind of give it to Disney a little bit about just how they're trying to present a certain utopia but like there's like a, there's 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 something dark underneath it if that's if this is the type of thing that would lead to this utopia I mean so he,
2: he did a great job M.B. Binkley did a great job of taking like a, a seed of an idea and planting it in the ground and yeah. watching what would actually happen if nobody talked back against this and let it just happen you know yeah. so this this story on homage to Mickey Mouse is this wonderful thought piece you know and yeah. it you know Presents his alternate America, you know, yeah. alternate Florida, where, you know, like you can do lots of really bad things to homeless people, oh. you yeah, know, people for em- money. People embraced the law
1: yeah, and not even, and then took it even further. People took the law and they the, were doing some messed up right. things to the homeless people right. in this story. Right. Um, yeah, and it, 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 just, so f- it's a
2: really provocative, you know, great fictional piece of, you know, uh, fictional think piece, you know, like. And it's really well, well written too, you know. Yeah. So you know, and you know what? The great thing I like about it is that it's a little bit based and sort of rooted in, you know, reality. In you an know? actuality, so, you know. That, so he does a great job of yeah. presenting a story that isn't all that implausible. Totally. You know?
1: No, it's it's uh, it's it's yeah. it's eerie how how real it could could have been right. could have been. Right. So. Um, we had uh, one of our favorite writers. We're always, we're always talking about Frederick Foote. Um, yes, uh, yes. uh, I think we've joked here before that he's our discovery, uh, yeah. even though he writes everywhere. He has a ton of stuff out there in the world. Um, he kind of, his latest story, it's called The Tablet. Um, it's a bit of a
2: departure. That's what I was just going to say. It's a departure for
1: one of our favorite writers. It's it's, it's 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 a departure for him, but it's all the, it's. It's still him in spirit. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a sex scene in it now. Of course, of there's <laughs> got to be a sex scene. It wouldn't be um, a
2: Frederick fuck piece if there wasn't a sex but,
1: scene. But uh, this one could be. I love of, it. You know it. Yeah. oh, he writes all that stuff. It's yeah. it's sultry. It's yeah. and it's in 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 the best of ways. Right. And. Um, this one could honestly be categorized in like the sci-fi genre. It's right. um in
2: technology run amok kind of thing. Yeah, right it's, it,
1: it reminded me of like an episode of a uh, Black Mirror. Right. Which excellent. Uh, excellent. Um, parallel. It, yeah. it, I, even like the the one in particular was entitled "Be Right Back." I love that show a little bit. I, I, they need more. There's they do. Those two they seasons. do. It's so good. Um, but this is a. Uh, it's it's. It's about yeah, technology becoming interactive with the characters, and then and then and then downright in, intrusive. Right. And and it's another right. one that's uh, like hauntingly, you know, as as technology changes and be, and becomes more aware, and you know, who who knows where that's going? Uh, the singularity is near, Chris. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, But uh, yes. I mean, this is it, this is you know one of those ones that that almost feels like a warning.
2: In right, some ways, right, it's a cautionary tale, I feel yeah, like, you know, and like, tale. it was nice to see Frederick sort of changing gears a little bit and going that route, you know. I was,
1: I was really yeah. surprised when I was yeah. like halfway down reading it, I'm like, what, what is happening here? Yeah. It's, you know, was, we have had the privilege of, of publishing a bunch of his stories right now. and uh,
2: He has a nostalgia for a certain time in the past, you absolutely. know. Absolutely. A different version of America, you know, that isn't so, you know, pervasive these days, yeah. you know, but... You know, this was just right in the fast lane of where everything's going these days. So it was nice to see him, uh, you know, like I said, change gears and go in a different direction. You know, it, it sort of sh- shows the range of Frederick, you know, yeah. his abilities. Yeah, you know?
1: no, it, it's absolutely. He, he he surprised me in a way. Yeah. I mean, me too. So I've always too. been impressed, but yeah. he surprised me in a way. Yeah. Um, so it's a great
2: piece, of tablet. Yeah, Frederick puts
1: The Tablet. Check yeah. it out. Um, Drew Sheldon's When It Happened was one of the more intense pieces we have... Uh, published in some time what we kind of um, this leads us to what we're going to talk about as we as we close down um, this podcast and we have a couple of readings that we're going to share from we recently ran a a workshop it was a writing your truth workshop and we did it in companion with author Sarah Fader who is a close friend of across the margin um, who ran the workshop with us and she's actually She's ran one of these before, and this story, Truth Sheldon's, when it happened, uh, came from that workshop that she ran initially. And um, this was intense. It, it was about the Writing Your Truth workshop is is all about what we do is we we, we help writers uh, not only come make you know take an idea and, and and you know end up walking away with a story at the end of it, and help them write it through the whole process and. You know, just just walk with them through the entire thing. But we also try to get them to reach within themselves. And, Dig deep. And, and find a truth that yeah. they they want to confront. Right. And it's kind of, we you know, one thing we're really into is the honesty in writing and, and the cathartic nature of writing. Right. And I
2: mean, that, writing, you know, something that you've been afraid to put down on words. Yeah. You know, doing that is, I think, can be, you know, I mean... I, it can be very healing.
1: You know? It is. So it's. I mean, it's you know. it's intense. It's, it's, it is. It could be. It's slightly traumatic, but it's yeah. all it's healing, and it's good to right. get it out there. And Drew, in this case, and what had happened when it happened, he uh, he was talking about um, you know, being abused, and he was raped. He was, and it, there's, there's not a lot of information out there. I mean, I don't know if there's a stigma or if it's people don't understand how males can be raped, and there's there's some weird things out there on that. And he's. Oh yeah. He was he was he addressed it in in a very straight up and it's 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 you know we we talked about it because his point was because silence won't help end the cycle of, of, of abuse and
2: because nobody's immune from victimhood yeah. and um, he he did a great job of sort of you know saying that he didn't even realize he was in an abusive relationship yeah. you know, with his partner you know she you know she was someone that he loved and yeah. you know it took him a little while to sort of like step outside of the relationship and realize that some of the things that were going on with him and her were not good Yeah, you know and then just you know sort of the seed was planted yeah. and he started to realize that hey this isn't okay actually mm-hmm. and he has a right to say something about it yeah. you know and you know he did an excellent job of yeah because it, was, it was kind of
1: about what happened to him how it and you were speaking of that next relationship but how it affected him through other relationships yeah. and it you followed know, him it followed yeah. him and as it does and, Yeah, and um it's 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 a haunting one, but it's 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 it, it, it was kind of an honor. It, it was not kind of it wasn't honor to publish, and uh, it just I, I feel it takes so much bravery to put stuff like that out there. Oh yeah, to be so very
2: vulnerable, you know. I mean, yeah,
1: it's so it's it's right. it's it, it, it's it's so commendable. It's, yeah. it's so Drew, if you're listening, thank you for sharing that yeah, with I'm, us. Yeah, I'm
2: and, I'm really proud of you, and really yeah. proud to have it on our site. You know, I mean, it's not every day we find someone who can sort of translate those emotions into words and then share them with people you know so uh, strangers
1: so and also thank you Sarah for because she she, uh, you know it was from her former workshop and she she sent Drew our way um, so
2: Sarah's Sarah's you know well well equipped for these kind of things because she runs her stigma fighters yeah, yeah. site so, you know so she has a lot of experience yeah so her sort of and Allie like,
1: Bark too yeah. both great writers right her and, and Allie
2: yeah so trying to break down these sort of walls and yeah. like you know um,
1: Allie had a piece with uh, uh, At Across the Margin a little interlude um, recently um, she sometimes shares these shorter pieces with us These I, I like to describe them as like a snapshot yeah of, yeah, of yeah she does a great a snapshot job snapshot yeah. of time yeah um, the last it's like one, a photograph, you know, and yeah. she's
2: describing what's it's, going yeah. on. It's there's beautiful. Little
1: poignant nuggets in yeah. there, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And the last one was uh, "To Breathe You In," and there's, there's a couple of lines I always. There's one of great imagery read, in that piece. Great you know? imagery, and yeah. there's one when it's a. Uh, it's a wonder how the wa- how how the water gains speed so quickly. It inches across the sand like the speed of time during depression, and all of a sudden you're soaking wet. You can't outrun it, like life. You can't outrun life. I just remember that little part. Yeah, that was a great whole section. But there's, um, there's just, they're just, there's so much beauty, and in, in, they're short, but they're just the captivating little pieces. So, she she shared that with us. But, um, yeah, Sarah, um, she's the author of uh, three-year-olds three are yes, three assholes. Three-year-olds Yes, three-year-olds uh, are assholes. She just put out uh, in th- uh, a book of uh, like a collection of short stories. Um, and yeah, she had, she was just reading the other night at Barnes and Noble doing the, uh, uh, the stigma fighters anthology, which has a bunch of different, yeah. di- different in She's there. She's doing a lot
2: of great stuff out there. So you know, it was, so. it was
1: fun working, uh, with her, on on the workshop, uh, writing your truth. I'm actually, I'm going to take a moment and read something she shared with us before I d- d- kind of sure. talk more about the workshop and set up our last two readings. Yeah. I'm going to read, um, her latest she shared with us. She shares with us, um, always very heartfelt pieces and yeah. I'm very affecting and honest, and so this one is, I'm sure she won't mind if we read it, Sarah Fader's Goodbye. The day I saw you, for the first time, you were wearing a dark gray hoodie. You stood there, uncomfortably not knowing where to put your arms, but there was something awkward and kind in your smile. I wanted to hug you immediately, though we didn't know each other. Slowly, I began to open up to you. You learned about parts of me that I didn't share with people easily. Only, it was different with you, because you cared. It was like free-flowing words They kept coming out of my mouth and into the air How did you do that? You always get it I realized that I could tell you everything I didn't censor myself I was truly me when I was with you and you knew it You gave me everything too 103% of yourself And that's rare I had found in you a friend I'd given up on friends The last time I had a friend like this I was 16 I told him everything and he broke my heart when you came into my life, I had, I had this sense of impermanence. I knew you weren't going to stay, yet I deluded myself into believing that this time it would be different. You told me it was safe to be myself. You would not judge me, and you meant it. But it wasn't going to last, and I knew that. Goodbye to you. I'll see you on the street, and it will never be what it was, but maybe I'll touch your arm, and you'll touch my hand, and we'll remember what we used to have... Have so, know that I care about you even if we don't talk, and I will always hold a place for you inside of me where we used to be together. Pretty beautiful, yeah. It's it's and, and it's sad too. It's kind of a it's like you know, there's love there, but she knows it's not gonna last. And yeah. That's 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 tragedy. That's a definition of tragedy I mean, yeah, right there. I mean,
2: love lost is always you know, it's it, it cuts you,
1: yeah. You know, so and just the, the fact that she, she it seems like she was she was aware of it. Before it was even gone. yeah, before yeah. It was the out of her the grasp. fact that she sort of had that, like yeah, you know,
2: precognit, precognition.
1: Yeah, like about this it. This, um, this doesn't have a future in some right. way. I don't think. You know, I don't know the story behind behind the story, but right. it's. But it's, so at
2: least she got to experience something, I guess. You know, yeah, so it's not yeah, a total loss. So.
1: Like there's, you could tell. There's joy. Yeah. There. I When mean, she talks about this place, you know, I will always hold this place for you inside of me, where exactly. we used to be together. So she still I know, like got the still most. still got something from that. So. um... We did we had uh two stories we did publish from our workshop um right, uh, our, our first workshop our first writing your truth writing workshop issues. we are going to do that again too that was yeah. exciting it was yeah. a lot of fun sharing you know the knowledge that we've uh we've obtained you know through editing it was a uh, new it
2: was a new uh, venture for us
1: thousands of pieces at this point yeah. and um Cause uh, we got to actually
2: meet the authors you know yeah, which was, is great and we yeah. have to sit with them it's, and Work with them through their revisions and like you know help them decide on the story yeah. and then I should actually say there was three pieces that were published from that because I actually went
1: ahead and I wrote one um, right. and I shared, ICU, right yeah it's I'll call it ICU I shared it with uh, uh, the OCH Literary Society so if anyone wants to read that that's it's my uh, heartfelt and honest piece about something I dealt with I, I won't go into it too much right now but check it out at ICU over at the OCH Literary Society, that's uh, Ali Burke runs that site, and um, but the I want to focus on the two pieces. Uh, Tiffany Yu wrote a piece called "Dear Dad," mm-hmm. um, which was a letter to her father uh, who was deceased, and we we did we that on the site. Uh, I know it took a lot of courage for. Uh, Tiffany to put that out into the world. Right. She was honestly debating the, the whole time. She wasn't sure she wanted to. I'm um, so glad she did. It's beautiful, yeah. it's intense, she, she, it's well she written. She dug deep
2: and she really sort of wore her heart in her sleeve with her words, you know? And yeah. Like, you know, by way of a traumatic experience, you know, she really sort of, you know, did very good by her father with this letter that she yeah. wrote to him. I mean, it, it was touching and heartfelt and, you know, it gave you a lot of insight into sort of her struggle and yeah. you know, her view on the world. And, you know, I, I, I was very proud to have yeah, it, you it's know, sa-
1: it's sad and beautiful. Yeah. That she was very
2: hard. brave to do it, you know? Um, <laughs> like you said, she found her truth and she wrote about it, you know? Yeah. Um, so in that way it was successful.
1: Absolutely. Um, and so what, to end this podcast, we actually had them, um, come by and we taped them reading. Cause the next one is, um, is Patrick Dalton's living remnant. And, um, I'm not sure I've enjoyed a piece that we've published as much as Patrick's. <laughs> I mean, I mean Patrick's
2: writing is like a bowl in a china shop. Absolutely. I mean, like it just punches you in the gut and it's, it, it it's this story stop.
1: is such a wild ride. It's right. it's 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 take, it's real and it takes you into a life that 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 he lived but it's That it's, few experienced, That few would experience yeah. and it's it's, right. it's, it's 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 it you know the the reading it is it, it's like it it matches the intensity of the, of the yeah. content and it's it's it spins it spins you out of control and it's in in
2: the best of ways and right. um, there's uh there's like chaos and beauty mixed together yeah. you know it's was, just like it's, it's, you know it, it's uh it's, wa- it's quite the ride
1: to, uh, watching him take that from the idea to the first few edits until like I remember reading it after we we edited the whole thing a bunch of times and i just i mean literally after the last period i you know i was just like wow like i said it out yeah. lot wow it's
2: it's so good and uh i think that was one of my favorite parts about the workshop was sort of watching both of these writers you know like yeah. take it from just a like a questioning statement like maybe i want to write about this you mm-hmm. know and then just like going back and forth and reinforcing what worked and what didn't work and yeah. trimming off the fat and rounding out all the good stuff and brainstorming and throwing around ideas and at the end of the day you know you're left with these really amazing stories yep. you know and I, I, like that that was just a, a wonderful experience i'm glad that tiffany and patrick shared that with us you know yeah, absolutely. and patrick's living Revenant is great you know i mean there's a lot of great like um um auditory cues to it you know yeah. so it's more than just like the written word you know yep. like he has these really interesting ways where he tries to like Draw the reader to these repetitive themes. You know, I'm
1: um, glad I just thought of this. What's fascinating about it is we did the workshop in where in my neighborhood where we live, and he there's a church across the street. There's this red, old, beat up church, and um, he, you know, when he first came over for the first workshop, he didn't know what he was going to write, but he saw the church, and he used to this experience that he speaks about. Is tied into that church. He's exactly. he, like, you, something happened to him when he saw it. They, these memories came, just pouring back to yeah. him. Just looking at that building, and he was almost like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, like I know that church. And, and and then, it just, like, it just opened up like wounds. You know, it just rocked his world. And, yeah. and then he just, it that led to this story. Just exactly. him seeing yeah, it exactly. in that. Exactly. That's so cool. I mean,
2: he. he, he I, you can't write that stuff, you know. No. I mean, like no, maybe like you can. It's, I don't know. It's, so, it
1: it's just, just, just. I mean, if we had that workshop, any other place, yeah, that story wouldn't have, or, yeah, wouldn't have happened. Yeah, would have happened. Not you know? have happened, and that's so. so cool to think about. And so as we, um,
2: it's like a, kind of like a little bit of like our stamp on it, you know.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I have you a little piece of it. Um, yeah. To close this 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 podcast here, um, we will have these two readings. Well, we're going to start with Tiffany Hughes, Dear Dad. They actually they they read them for us. So. Um, Tiffany Hughes, Dear Dad, will be first. And that'll be followed by um, Patrick Dalton's Living Remnant. So uh, I'm positive you're going to enjoy these two stories. uh, Definitely. We're so proud of them. Thank you for uh, taking another trip with us beyond the margin. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks,
2: Mike. You know, a lot more
1: to come, you know. A lot more to come. And um, enjoy these two stories. Yeah.
3: Dear Dad, I'm staring at bushes. Dead bushes, to be exact. It's Easter weekend, and all I'm seeing on Facebook are pictures of cherry blossoms. I made it back to Maryland to observe the Chinese Qingming Festival, or Tomb Sweeping Day. Mom makes us kids do this every year. I looked it up. Apparently, it's a holiday to remember past ancestors. I see these bushes once a year because that's the only time I make the journey out here to this unmarked location in Virginia, I wouldn't be able to find this place if I wanted to. Mom drives. I sit in the back and stare out the the window. I did see a few cherry blossoms on our way. Does that count? Anyway, the bushes are dead. Like, really dead. These stupid bushes we paid someone to plant for you are dead. This year, they're beyond repair. Brown, brittle, scorched. These are the bushes that surround your gravesite. The place we buried you all those years ago, our shrine to you. I didn't notice or care much for the bushes until today. In the past, there wasn't much to pay attention to because they were alive and green. I'm a little surprised that I feel so angry about them now that they're dead. Maybe they died because no one cared about them. I guess I was hoping to not have to be so angry about dead bushes. I'm angry because I didn't appreciate them when they were alive. At least yellowing and dying would have been better than dead. Mom says upkeep was in the contract she signed for this place. Seriously? We're spending money on dead bushes? I'm pretty sure dead bushes are not upkeep. Do we really need more death in this place? Should I feel sad and not angry? Should I be thinking about you and not the bushes? I'm not entirely entirely sure. Once a year, I make these visits, and now they've become so routine. Do I feel anything anymore? I'm not sure I ever really felt anything. I was nine years old, and I can't remember anyone telling me you had died. I can't remember a lot about the events surrounding your death, but I can't remember your death. It was Thanksgiving weekend, the day after your birthday. Did we do anything to celebrate? We must have. All of these things that should have been positive memories, I can't remember now. Maybe I was too young. Maybe I didn't think they were as important at the time. I was sitting next to Peter in the back seat and behind Melissa, who was in the front. You were driving. We had just dropped Mom off at the airport and were on our way home. Something happened. We were approaching the fork in the road on the highway, and instead of going left or right, we went right in the middle into a grassy ditch you were having a seizure this was a familiar scene that happened once before when we were back at home you were on the ground and everyone was rushing around you with blankets and towels making sure you didn't injure yourself when you fell to the ground was this a one-time thing or had this happened before I was there too a passive observer uninvolved in the scene like I was watching from backstage it didn't feel real So here we were again, except this time I was in the car too with Peter and Melissa. We sat in jarring silence for a few seconds as we watched the seizure overtake you. Someone had hit pause on the scene. Time stood still in that instance and my hand latched onto a singular thought. I went into autopilot. Left hand seatbelt, right hand handle next to the window on the roof of our Toyota. That should be enough, right? What was happening to you? Was someone going to end the scene soon? Then the next spasm came. Your foot slammed the gas pedal and we sped out of that ditch and across the empty highway. The scene ended abruptly with the blur of some trees. Was that it? Was that when you died? I don't know. Honestly, I was too scared to ask anyone to confirm. When I woke up, it must have been late because all I wanted to do was sleep. I was in a helicopter. There was a man hovering over me who kept forcing my eyelids open. Maybe he was nervous that if I closed my eyes long enough, that would be the last time. So much for celebrating your birthday. I want to remember balloons and cake, but the reality I'm left with is a Toyota beyond repair. I can't remember if I had to go back to the hospital after your funeral. I had broken two bones in my left leg that left me in that place for three weeks and in a wheelchair for months afterward until I could walk again. At your funeral, the first and only one I've ever been to up until now, I didn't know how to act. Should I be sad? Should I be crying? I started playing with Peter's Walker until Uncle told me to stop. I just wanted to distract myself from acknowledging the reality that you were gone. There was a time during the funeral when we all said our final goodbyes to you. Someone wheeled me up to your coffin, and I saw you lying there as though you were sleeping. I didn't cry. I didn't know what to say. All I said was, Hi, Daddy, it's Tiffany. What was I supposed to say? I think back to that scene often. I wish I had said more, but I'm still not sure what I would have said instead. You are very much a part of this story, Dad, but losing you wasn't the only part. I'm not sure if I remember much about you anymore. In the chapters that followed this story, you were forgotten. You lost your title role as a main character. It was like you were an afterthought. I felt like I had much bigger battles. You weren't in my life anymore. My disability was, my funny arm. It was the first thing I thought about when I was relearning how to write with my left hand. It's the first thing, I think it, it's the first thing people notice when I extend my left hand in greeting. It's the first thing I think about when I'm asked to do something that suggests the need to use both hands. I'm defined by my diagnosis, my brachial plexus injury, and it's been the chip on my shoulder for the better part of the past 18 years. It's been the source of a lot of my self-loathing and angst with the world. I was so angry. I hated everyone and everything. Their lives were so much easier. You had a bit of a temper too, so much so that I remember that I was scared you might take your anger out on me. Maybe I held onto this anger because it was my way of feeling connected to you, but I don't want to be angry anymore. I used to feel this tremendous guilt that I should feel a certain way about you, that losing you should evoke more pain and sadness. I mean, you are my dad. I look at photos of us from when you were alive, and I'm grateful that those moments were captured, but I can't recall the memories associated with those moments. They don't feel like my own. I was telling a friend about the bushes tonight, and he told me that you would be impressed with the woman I've become. He said, Papa Bear would be proud. At least, I think any father would be. I've been thinking about this today. If you saw me today, would you be proud? Would I care? I'm sorry we didn't have more time together for us to create something, anything of substance that I could remember. But I don't really feel anything, positive or negative, and I think I'm okay with that. Our relationship just is, or was. But regardless, you will always be my dad. If I learned anything from this experience, it was about the fragility of life. It's a reminder I need often, so I thank you for that. This one time, we were at Price Club, and you found some cookies left over from one of the sampling stations. They were sitting at the top of the trash, and you grabbed the unopened container to share with us kids. Everyone was staring at us, but you didn't care. You hated when perfectly good things went to waste. You would have been angry about the dead bushes, too. Tiffany.
1: And finally, Patrick J. Dalton's
0: living remnant. We were always fucked up coming home. We were fucked up no matter where we were going, gin-soaked or otherwise. But coming home at night, back to the slope, usually meant we were in the stained back seat of a livery outrunning the dawn. Driver using the scaffolding-shrouded steeple of the red church on the corner as a landmark. For the two years that I lived with her down the block from that place, we never once saw anyone going in or out. No workers on the dilapidated boards surrounding the painted brick facade. Only the occasional dog pissing on the foundation. It seemed fitting being on the outside, looking in at the hollow, forgotten testament to redemption and eternal life. As an atheist dating a satanic alcoholic prone to violence, the both of us were always meaning to repair our broken, abandoned relationship, but found it easier to drown it in our shared toxicity, our shared emptiness embodied by the derelict, steepled monstrosity on the corner. Despite my disdain for the Nazarene scarecrow upon his cross, and the Irish Catholic, life is miserable, so let's concern ourselves with St. Peter's literacy skills after we fucking die, cult I was born into, my chaotic mind was somehow always quieted in our fucking church. These days they serve as venues for obligatory weddings and funerals only. The journey to adulthood requires wisdom obtained through more random and individual practices that aren't recognized until long after the scars have healed. Serenity is a never-ending snipe hunt, often intangible and best considered imaginary for the sake of sanity. When your thoughts, memories, fears, dreams, anxieties, and nightmares have congealed and amplified into an internal echo chamber with the handles missing from every known escape hatch, best of luck to you. Today I possess a zen-like balance of prescribed neutrality and fucking vertigo. But in those days, through the deafening maelstrom raging behind my fixed staring eyes, I could hear an apparition blink in the cold marble and oak shrine of the goddamned enemy and very little else. This was their circus, not mine. The devout participants who engaged in this charade of charity and love who had soil their precious little souls with the unspeakable shit they did on the other side of those doors and mumbled their rehearsed confessions through a screen in a box for five minutes each month in return for a cleansing in the form of recited penance. May the Lord bless and keep you. Lather, rinse, and repeat. Amen. I was once cast as an altar boy in St. Joseph's weekly sideshows, an overweight tiger, caged, taunted, and beaten, only to be released for an hour hour or so every Sunday morning to go through the motions in fear of a nearby whip. It was humiliating enough to have been me in private, constantly dodging wooden hangers, flying cups of coffee, or the occasional cigarette tip but the Merrick treatment in public was far beyond the fucking pale. I'm not an animal. I'm a Catholic schoolboy. I thought I'd seen it all from that revered stage, at times holding in the laughter or the vomit, on sore knees in an overstarched, off-white cassock that resembled a cheap tablecloth, spotted with questionable stains. The thinly concealed bruising, the whispered threats, notes sung that would bleed in air, whale's ear dry, and the hypocrisy. Every fucking word spoken under that roof or on either side of the marble slab was a broken promise before it slid from their fermented tongues. The foulest tongues of all belonged to Mr. and Mrs. John Bartold, the parents of my brutally abused and bullied classmate Mary. John and his wife looked like hobos straight out of the Sunday funny pages, with soiled, mismatched thrift shop clothing patched together in places with duct tape which affixed their worn-out shoes to their soles. Mary and her six younger siblings, mostly girls, didn't fare much better than their parents. It was far worse for them, in fact. The majority of those Bartol children faced the daily judgments of their peers at school, and the penalties were fucking heinous. Prior to Mary transferring to my school in the sixth grade, I had been the sadist target of choice since the first grade with the hospital bracelets to prove it. Mary provided me with a much-needed break from the savagery, but offered me a new reason to draw their blood. The boys in my class found out Mary was dyslexic and beat her down on arrival by the batting cage during recess, one clenching her by the hair, as smashing the side of her face into a tree, another stomping her only pair of glasses on a nearby rock. New, poor, and retarded. She didn't stand a goddamn chance. Welcome to St. Joe's. Enjoy your stay. Mama, Bartold could be seen every fucking Sunday at the lectern for tithing. The meek shall inherit your pocket lint. These poor bastards' breadwinner, old John, actually worked at an IBM think tank, making a higher salary than anyone else in that mausoleum. And like a good Christian, Johnny handed over 70% of his earnings to St. Joseph's each month while his family suffered in squalor. But John Boy wasn't just doing the good honorable Christian thing... He was buying himself a clean conscience, which I'm pretty sure wasn't in stock at the parish gift shop. No amount of tithing, penance, or duct tape could absolve poor John of his sins. Unbeknownst to me at the time, St. John was sexually abusing his children and raping his eldest daughter, my defeated classmate Mary. Nevertheless, every week they shuffled into their third row ringside pew expecting the Holy Ghost to greet their solemn souls. The congregation's collective stance of betrayal and blindness that permeated the pews could be seen on their faces, all locked in the same expression of bullshit reverence like they all stole and totaled the same guy's car and were desperate to avoid eye contact with anything but the ceiling beams. Clowns aren't supposed to frequent the circus, yet here they were. If I'd only taken those words seriously, I may have avoided the big top I ended up in years later, but I'm not the enlightened cautious type. If it weren't for the reward of future regret, I wouldn't be involved. It's an ideology that's more pragmatic than the weekly ritualistic cannibalism of a bipolar zombie who's allegedly told a few nameless bystanders, Later, bitches, (laughs) unicorns are biblical, nonfiction is mine. To each deity belongs a house of worship, redundant rituals, and at least one ringleader to spread the word, good, bad, or indecipherable. When the one that you kneel before is chaos, interpretation is everything. Or it becomes verbatim when two combustible malcontents cross paths, turn the elephant parade into a full-blown stampede. Her apartment was more like a curiosity shop, their shelves filled with the skulls, spines, and bones of small mammals and birds. Haunted paintings of shifting shadows on the walls. Jars with dimly-colored beads, stones, and gems. Everywhere you looked... There was something with a story, a past life to be spoken of. And yeah, she even had a stained glass window. What church would be complete without one? Another bottle of Bombay Sapphire comes out of the freezer as she's giggling her way through another anecdote-turned-hypothetical-murder-scenario aimed at either myself or her roommate. Can't tell. When the endorphins within her begin their dance with alcohol, what spews from her lips is a rapid-fire soliloquy. Zip-click goes my Zippo lighter, adorned with a green enameled Celtic knot as I light up another camel. Iron Monkey plows through the speakers in the living room, pushing through combined cigarette and weed smoke and into my head. I've heard this CD more times than I give a shit about, but she's hooked on like two riffs and has the whole fucking thing on perpetual rotation. It's been out for three or four years, but I have to pay the price for being late, her being late to the party. Fuck it. I've paid worse penalties. Zip. Click. She's shaking her ass, holding her gin and tonic, smoking a Light, and applying makeup all at the same time. I have to admit, there's nowhere I'd rather be right now. Fine lines and subtle contours, shadow and color blended massfully. The meticulous hand of a neurosurgeon, executing a procedure while on a mechanical bowl, Defining symmetry before finishing it off with a perfectly centered bindi just above her painted brows. Her eyes in her light red brown seduction shining back at me like polished nirvana. God damn It's almost 11 and we haven't even considered leaving the apartment yet Zip, click Time is just memory mixed with desire Typical Friday night She's dressed like a metal goddess The body of a siren on 5 inch stilettos With her legs tightly clad in a second skin of leather And a see-through lace top that pours over her toned arms to her middle fingers She has the grin of a hangman and lingers in a mood for trouble. Actually, it's a fucking bloodlust. She knows that anything with a pulse wants her as the stairs become a familiar backdrop. Their walking fantasy shadowed by their immediate second guess. There's more to us than a respective need to numb the self-inflicted pain and soothe each other's erratic impulses. You see, this isn't your average relationship with the average woman, dating the average man, abiding by the mediocrity of average fucking rules. This is chaos. We can't merely tether this between the two of us, for chaos needs to be fueled, fed, and even shared with others. After all, sharing is caring, and we really give a fuck. Zip. Click. Rather than be predictable and fade into the puddles and dive bars at a lower east side, it was secret loft parties in Dumbo or fucking Williamsburg. Elitism at its most sickening. And we're invited. She provides dog-walking services during the day for the wealthy. Her clientele includes a roster of celebrities and their representatives. So, basically, when there's no some no-talent West Coast trust fund baby shipbird junkie living the high life in Brooklyn on Daddy's Dime, throwing a spare-no-expense exhibit opening, she was put on the list. Plus one. It's the south side of the heroin chic trend, and apparently now, the more money you have, the more homeless you look. Zip click. Out fucking standing. At five feet tall with paper white skin, contrasting her raven black dreadlocks, her exotic makeup, jewelry, and tattoos, she's walking hand in hand with a six foot one Irish orangutan with mutton chop sideburns and hair down to his belt. We aren't out of our element. We're simply making them squeamish in theirs. We're sharing. On this particular night, the venue was in Greenpoint, a desolate fucking place near the East River dominated by warehouses and probably Frank Castle. We step out of the livery and head towards the GNC poster boy, standing in front of a dimly lit red door. Zip, click. She's all smiles and finger wiggles as she tells Jimmy Juice Nipples her name, which he checks against a clipboard that he pulls from behind him. Without a word or breaking the line of sight with her cleavage, he opens the door like a good boy, and in we go. We're instantly underwhelmed as we walk into what could have been the set of the secret garden had it been filmed on the Gaza Strip. Only it was much dimmer as not as loud. The space itself was with its giant treehouse and floral theme. Reminds me of that shit as well. These are the people I forgot even existed. Those without the necessity to vacate their mattress during daylight hours. Wall-to-wall staggering cries for help. Zip. The DJ is spinning Portishead, the catch-all soundtrack for these cultural fucking lampreys, and we begin laughing as we trade suggestions about what requests we should make to piss off the natives. It's a toss-up between Soylent Green and Bolt Thrower, both of which would only draw a blank stare at best. Zip. Click. There's no central bar, only seven-foot-long mini-bars situated sporadically along the walls, each with an identical selection of top-shelf bottles. Impressive spread for I have no fucking idea She's already forgotten the purpose For the soiree And we're both 100% certain That there isn't one single One of these rubes In this oversized diorama That we've ever met before However Two girls navigating their way Through the crowd Who stop and shriek Hey I'm so glad you guys are here Oh my god Didn't get the fucking memo Wow, yeah, me too. What time did you get here? She replies back to these college age blondes, whose irises are dilated enough for me to see my own reflection and as we all exchange hugs and kisses. Zip click. It's seamless how she's rolling right along with this shit, and I'm following her lead just as effortlessly. We're told that there's premium seating awaiting us in the treehouse along with a variety of party favors. The pair of anonymous girls take us by the hands and lead us towards our new destination, weaving us through to backs and breasts. Girl A cups my ear to tell me how relieved she is that I'm there because Matt's a lightweight and he's already passed out. Again? That stupid, stupid son of a bitch. Didn't he pull that shit last time, I asked Girl A? She covers her mouth slightly. She starts laughing and nodding. Oh my god, yeah, I forgot you guys were there for that. Ha ha ha, she laughs. Yeah, of course we were. You can't take that fucking guy anywhere. If she has any recollection of this tomorrow, it won't matter. They're both so far gone right now that I know for them that this is the dreaded this-never-happened-as-it's-fucking-happening. Zip. Click. The treehouse is just a giant bunk bed, more or less, surrounded by papier-mâché bark, with its branches rising up to the ceiling, across to the walls, and back down to the floor. Covered in painted paper leaves Maybe in the next room there's a volcano Or a rocket This is where the imagination Comes to die My e- my eyes trace the longest branch To the wall On my left where I notice a small counter Amongst the leaves Beneath a wooden sign stating Absinthe Bullshit Only once before have I experienced the bitter earthen taste of that fabled elixir from a bottle smuggled in from Prague by a former roommate's girlfriend. Magic in its purest, most subtle, and abstract form. This sign better not be part of this third-grade installation. You just don't fuck with someone by doing that. I immediately deviate from the current course, my heartbeat finally waking up to the evening. Zip. Click. Click. According to the nervous guy with the mandatory beard and glasses behind the counter, no one is fucking with me. Behind him, on a table, is a crude setup featuring a vertical glass tanner, container filled with roughly three gallons of diarrhea green bayou water, absinthe in the raw. I bypassed the battle history lesson that he's programmed himself to spew and motion for two glasses with my fingers, tossing a $10 bill on the counter. As I turn away towards the treehouse, I notice her coming from the minibar on the adjacent side, with a gin and tonic in each hand. We meet up by the ladder leading up to the lower level of the tree, exchange glasses, and each inhale a cocktail prior to ascending to the next phase of the night. Mm. She sneers a rawr at me as she gestures with her hand in a claw and proceeds up the ladder. Zip. Click. She doesn't make it more than three steps before the yelling begins above, causing traffic to quickly descend. Matt has awoken from his mid-party nap by projectile vomiting on any and everyone in a ten-foot radius. Rar indeed. Girls A and B are amongst the eight or so evacuees assembling within arm's reach. However, now there's no recognition of us or much else. They're yelling over the din of the others, vying for the loudest slurred assessment of their present situation as we make our way to a minibar in the next room howling in laughter. The slow dripping sort that resonates in colors beginning with the elusive diarrhea green. Zip. Click. Another round is waiting for me as I wind through the shifting bodies dancing in the open floor, making my way back from the restroom, and I wish that is all. Tonight is also the night that blacked-out girls may have wished to have avoided being bathed in bile by their shared man-child while tripping balls in a paper tree. But that didn't necessarily make it fucking so. Zip. Click. She's in an increasingly heated argument with some jackass leaning on a minibar, her pointed figure coming within inches of his scowling face with each threatening jab. I pick up my pace as best I can before reaching the clearing near the edge of the crowd, close enough to hear him say, "fuck" before charging into him at a dead run, sending him flying backwards into the brick wall. He immediately opens his hands, yelling, Okay, okay! Quickly shielding his face as she grabs his hair and knees his knuckled guard, screaming, You motherfucking cocksucker, you're fucking dead! I tug her by the hand, and we both make our way towards the exit at a reasonable clip. Reasonable in that we remained upright and didn't wall-plant anybody else on the way out. Out the door and to the left, bypassing juice nipples altogether, all I can hear is the click-clack of her heels and our syncopated huffing as we make our way to the corner. The next block over is a main drag, where we'll easily find a livery and get the fuck home. Rounding the corner... The sound of hurried footsteps snatches my glance over my right shoulder in time to narrowly sidestep our sparring buddy charging at his full blast. I catch his plaid shirt in both of my hands and swing, keeping his momentum going right into the side of a parked car. My boot meets his face over and over as he's caught between the curb, the undercarriage, and my size 12 Vibram soles. As he's blindly swings back with his left hand. Down. Just go the fuck down. I drop my knees on his left hand and chest, a few quick hits. His right hand is reaching. Underneath the car, his right hand is reaching for his waist. She calls my name. I look up. She hands me a thin rod, a broken-off car antenna. His hand is pulling it from his waist. I sink the broken end into his neck once, twice, tangled. I pull it back harder to free it from his skin. Looped around the other end is a beaded necklace holding a leather-framed golden badge. We are halfway down the block. My chest has a xenomorph trying to bust out in double bass thrash standard, and it fucking hurts. Click, click. You're dead, fucking maniac. This is where you fucking die, another voice shouts. This guy is wearing the same gold badge around his neck, only this one's a lot less bloody. Fuck you. Get the gun out of his face. Get that fucking gun out of his face, she screams, tears appearing in her eyes. That should scare me. Out of all the times I've had a gun pulled on me, I've never seen anyone cry over it. Shut your fucking mouth now, he yells at her, with his eyes bulging out of his skull, as he returns his gaze to me. A body slips between me and the barrel of the pistol. We've reached our destination. Mayhem. This unknown ingredient in our newly formed clusterfuck silently appears out of the night air. My eyes can't look away, one second fixed on the barrel of a 9 millimeter, are now staring at a stranger's patch of male-patterned male baldness. As his high-pitched voice tries reasoning with Officer Boyfriend, I detect an Eastern European accent singing our defense, only making out the words as they're repeated. But my friends do not see this man's police, right? With the gruff chorus of, move out of the way, step aside. Now footsteps again as Officer Boyfriend sprints back to his partner and MPB turns to me, smiling wide, before smothering me in his embrace. I hug the guy back in disbelief as I have no fucking idea what transpired. Guns are problem, right? Come, let's have a drink. Is okay. Is okay. We're ushered into an unmarked storefront just short of the corner, vanishing into the background of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. I head to the restroom to wash the shit off of me as best I can. The adrenaline transforming into the familiar shakiness as I ponder the acceptability of my flawed appearance in this poorly lit joint. She is demanding, in the sweetest way possible, that MPB allow us to reciprocate monetarily. You tell bartender scotch and soda, and is it okay? Right, he says. She counters... You almost took a bullet for him from that fucking psycho and all I could do is get you a drink? Dude, that's insane. Come on, name me a price. You saved our goddamn lives out there. I do not wish for Deja Vu heading to the bar as MPB is laughing. He holds me around the shoulders with his slab of arm, looks me dead in the eyes and says, You tell bartender scotch and soda. Just do it. I turn my face towards the bartender, not at all occupied by anything else three feet away, and say, How's it going? Scotch and soda. I look at MPB who nods once at me and says, Is good. Now is okay. With two reassuring pats on my shoulder, I look at the bartender who hasn't budged and order two gin and tonics. She makes the two drinks and pours a third, a shot from an unmarked bottle. She hands all three to me as I slide a $20 bill across the bar and pass the shot to MPB and the other gin and tonic to her. We gulp them down in silence before one final thank you. MPB points behind the bar and says, you go out there, it's okay. Less than five minutes later, we're in the back of a town car heading back to the slope. She is laughing hysterically as we recount the vomitorium, its arboreal inhabitants, and something about abs breath. We're both exhausted, far beyond the point of discussing tonight's events with any clarity. Perhaps tomorrow, or next week, or whenever we get around to it. Right now, I'm looking down the avenue for the church steeple. Once that's in sight, the rest can safely fade in the rearview mirror.